he had turned into a dragon while he was asleep, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart. He had become a dragon himself. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Dragon. Sorry, Kel. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy and all sorts of random stuff. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too crazy. Uh, But today we are discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 6, The Adventures of Eustace. I'm kind of upset by this chapter title because one, the adventures of Eustace, I feel like C.S. Lewis does this every now and like, I don't know how many chapters have the adventures of blank in its title, but it's a fair amount, I would argue. And starts every chapter with the, and it kind of, it limits him. It limits him. But like one, these aren't plural adventures. This is one adventure. Yeah. And it, I wouldn't even call it that. It's an unfortunate thing that's happening, right? But two... Eustace is a dragon now. You're not even going to mention the fact that he's a dragon or even reference it or, like, imply it? Like, call it, like, you know, the dragon's hoard or, like, yes, you know... the dragon's treasure. The, yeah. Or the golden cuff. Or the, the, golden, golden, the golden bracelet. Call it something, man. But, like, I don't know. Like, the fact that, like, the big deal in this chapter is there's dragons. The the chapter picture is a dragon. I mean, it's uh they just don't want to give away any spoilers, Cal. What, what if you're skimming the chapter titles and you don't want to have the entire story spoiled for if you're you? Skim the, if you're skimming the chapter titles, I don't even think you know what this book is about. You would assume by the adventures of Eustace, he's he's the good guy. I mean the very cover of this book, Kel, is Eustace as a dragon crying. It's a crying, weeping dragon. All right. Before we get into that too much, Chase, I'm going to give us a summary. Go for it. As Eustace found himself in a valley, the others were all washing their hands to eat and take a nice rest. Glad that they gave us that aside. Some of the crew hunted some goats to roast and a cask of wine was brought ashore. But it was really, really strong wine, so they watered it down and it was great. Don't ask what they watered it down with because they were running out of water. But don't worry about it. It was only after the second helping that Edmund wondered where Eustace was because, man, Eustace sucks. Meanwhile, Eustace looked around and saw that he was in a narrow, deep valley and the way he had wandered down in the fog was too treacherous to climb when you could see. Crazy how that happens. The narrow valley had burn marks around the edge and a pool in the middle. And at the bottom of the cliff on his left, there was a cave with two thin wasps of smoke coming out of it. Something was crawling in the dark of the cave. And as it came out, it took a moment for Eustace to understand what it was since he read, you know, he didn't read the kind of books that make a giant scaly reptile with wings that can breathe fire something easily to understand. He had never said the word dragon to himself, nor would it have made uh, things better if he had. Even so, the creature was clearly old and sad and moved slowly toward the pool where it tried to take a drink, but before it could, it just dies. It gives a cry and rolls over um, perfectly still, and we just see this great, like grand, magnificent creature just die of old age. Take it or leave it. Um, 
the relief was great. And Eustace went forward and stepped over the dragon to take a drink from the pool. And it started to rain. And he took shelter in the cave. Because Eustace had read the wrong kind of books, he was surprised to find that the cave was full of treasure. He immediately saw how useful it could be since there's no taxes here. So maybe he could set up for a life himself in a country that is truly great, like Callerman, who has been set up as the, uh, the, the enemies and the villains in every, of these, in every one of these books. But whatever. He began to try to fill his pockets in, and he put on this one particular bracelet, but I'm sure that's going to have nothing to do with anything. But he fell asleep as a mountain, uh, you know, walking, and, he, you know, and, and this, this great scare, it leaves him pretty tired, right? So at the same time, the others had finished dinner and were looking out for Eustace and shouting his name and complaining about how terrible Eustace is. And, you know, someone sticks up for him, and that's great, but, you know, Eustace still sucks. Uh, but as Eustace wakes up, he found that the treasure had grown really comfortable, and um, but there was this weird pain in his arm, and he looks over, and it looks like, it, you know, he, he, that el- the, the, the bracelet had gotten really tight on his arm. Maybe he got super yoked in the middle of the night. Uh, he just was, all that, that mountain climbing was leaving him really strong. But as he reached across to feel his arm, he stopped in terror as he saw the movement on the wall in the shape of a dragon's claw. And he thought to himself how foolish to think that the other dragon had been alone, because obviously dragons come in pairs. He froze for all and saw two thin columns of smoke right in front of his eyes. Ironic. Because, you know, how did, how did a dragon get, you know, below him? But whatever. He still doesn't know what's happening. Uh, and so he decides to sneak out of the, the cave quietly. And, but then he sees dragon claws on both sides of himself, moving at the exact same pace that his hands and arms are moving. So he's like, crap, there's two dragons. And so now he's running out of the cave and he's going to dive into the water. But he realizes two things. One, he's running on all fours. And two, when he looks into the water, he sees its dragon staring back. And then it all clicks into place and realizes that he had turned into a dragon because he was greedy and had dragon thoughts in his heart. And he had become a dragon himself. And the pain on uh, his arm was where that bracelet had fit. You know, it fit well because he was a small, tiny boy. uh, And now he's a giant dragon and it's much too small for him. Uh, And so it's sunk in deeply into the flesh and it hurts. uh, And though he was, you know, relieved to, you know, find that there was an answer, he was also not relieved because he realized that he had turned into a dragon. And, uh, you know, all of the things that he thought were, you know, true, like that Caspian and Edmund were jerks and that everyone hated him, uh, realized that those things were not true. And he wanted to be friends and he didn't want to be lonely and cut off from humankind for the rest of his life. But tough. He's a dragon. So, you know, that's how the story ends. Just kidding. That's not how it ends. But he cries in the valley and he goes and determines to find the others. Uh, and he takes a long drink. But before he leaves, he eats the dead dragon, Chase. Don't worry about it, because that's what dragons do. We're not going to spend any more time on this, I'm sure, in our conversations than what C.S. Lewis does on it. Uh, and so he jumps into the air and flies because he just knows how to fly all of a sudden. I'm sure that pra- takes no practice at all. Meanwhile, Lucy sits back at the camp, uh, and uh, they there's a report about an empty valley with a dead dragon in it. So that's good, because, you know, luckily there's no dragons around other than dead dragons. Um, but then... Literally, like, the next paragraph, they're like, hey, just kidding. A dragon just landed on the beach. And they sit in silence and in terror all night. Reaper Chief offers to go fight it in single combat. Mouse v. Dragon. Uh, I'd love to see it, honestly. Uh, but Caspian says no, which is probably smart. They waited and they gather at the edge of the woods until it's, it's light outside. Uh, and then they go to attack it. 
But when they start running towards it, it retreats and begins crying. Uh, and, you know, they think, uh, is it crocodile tears? But it appears that the dragon can understand English. He shakes his head. He nods his head, depending on what the answer is. And they start having this conversation with him. And Lucy realizes that a gold bracelet is digging into its arm and it's hurting him. And so Lucy pours his uh, her, her little vial of, of, you know, healing stuff on his arm to cure it. And though it relieved uh, the pain a little bit, it could not, uh, you know, help everything as the gold did not dissolve. And as they're, you know, looking at things, Caspian goes, hey, look, a bracelet. And the chapter ends there, Chase. Crazy. Crazy how that happens. What, what an interesting and compelling cliffhanger to recognize a bracelet. Well, did he recognize it? He just said, hey, look. Hey, look at that bracelet. <laughs> oh, the one that we're all gathered around looking at already? Thanks, dude. Was this a necessary? Whatever. We'll get there. But Chase, we'll, we'll talk uh, about it, I'm sure. we, we start not with Eustace, uh, you know, back in where he is. We just, he's got to know, you know, us as the reader, we, we need to know what everyone else is doing. It's that they're having Oops. a great time. Yeah, really all the things that Eustace wanted in the last chapter, uh, wanting to rest, wanting to eat, wanting to drink, wanting all to those get things, hammered, apparently. they are turning up on this beach. Like, I, I kind of want to go to this party. Man, they like they had some a, a strong cask of Archenland wine, which needs to be watered down with water that they don't have so that they could drink it. But But who am I to say, you know? I mean, we don't we don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna handle that. They they don't say they, they don't say. It. Look, it's mixed drinks and a barbecue. What, More, what it, it sounds great. It, it really great. does. Honestly. More importantly, though, uh, as opposed to you know asking questions why they're allowing these underage kids to drink such strong wine. Uh, yeah, they're like forty. They, oh, come on, they're asking the really important questions. Like, where's that blighter Eustace? <laughs> the first time they realize he's gone like 12 hours later and after they've had a full meal and party they're like oh man it's getting quiet out here oh Eustace is gone where where's that fool at it's like too quiet yeah uh also you know this is one of those words where just c.s lewis has to remind us that this is a british book because he uses the insult blighter blighter so no there you go it's like a lighter but there's a b on the front yeah, and B makes it even more dumb, you know. Sure. So, but uh, we we cut back to Eustace, who uh, has realized he cannot go back the way he came, and there happens to be, you know, this one little path down the mountain uh, that is, you know, safe, uh, and so he takes that uh, that that path, uh, and you know, realizes that he is heading into a valley, uh, but there, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. Uh, but as he as he heads in there, Chase, wouldn't you believe it? There's a little cave. And in that cave are two thin wisps of smoke. And on the ground of that cave. Thin wisps of smoke, there's a frog. And on that frog is a log. And on that log is a dog. Uh, but uh, this cave, there's two thin wisps of smoke coming out of it. And, and then something's moving, Chase. It's crawling. Crazy. And it, it, you know. Uh, it's one of those asides in here. Never could it be, Kel. I have no words for such a thing. If only we hadn't seen the front cover of this book. Who only knows? I'd read the right kinds of books, Kel. Man, even if, if you've been... not read the right kinds of, like, even if you've never heard or, like, read, like, a fantasy story, people know what dragons are. Yeah, it's kind of, like, built into society. 
I don't, I don't know what, what like every culture has like dragon stories for sure. To be fair, this is before the Lord of the Rings was like super popular. Like this is this is before that, or like I mean, the setting is yeah. I mean, er, the the setting of the books is you know earlier than than the Lord of the Rings had been released, but the Lord of the Rings had been released by the time this but book it had the been. Hobbit. The Hobbit came. The Hobbit came first. The Hobbit came first. I could have sworn that was reversed, but either way, Eustace isn't reading any of that crap because he's too busy reading accounting books and being a nerd and lame, and he doesn't know anything about dragons because the only uh, people who know dragons are cool people who aren't nerds yeah. at all. And so the C.S. Lewis's little aside is like, everyone else would have recognized what this was, but Eustace, because when you see a giant reptile that has scales... Uh, going up it and it's walking on all fours. It's got a big tail. It's got wings and it's got, you know, smoke coming out of its mouth. Everyone else would go, that's a dragon. Not that it would have helped because it's still a dragon, but you would at least would have known what it was. Yeah. It's <laughs> which like, yeah. Even if you just doesn't have, have the words for it, like he's got to at least have a sense of what this is. Dang. And later on when he's in this cave, he's aware of what a dragon is. So I don't really know how we can justify this, but don't worry about the consistency here. Uh, not, reading, Lewis not reading good books. Yep. But uh, the, though he's at first scared, he begins to see that the dragon is moving really slowly and he looks old and sad and he makes his way towards the water seeing if he can just get a drink of water, satisfy that, you know, burning in his throat that's definitely fire. Uh, and Chase, we get a horrific scene of this old dragon just having a heart attack and dying. Yep. It's a bummer, which for, I mean, spoiler for the first line of the next chapter. I, I don't know if we get it confirmed or not, but it's kind of heavily implied. This dragon might be one of the lords that they're looking for, like one of the the previous Narnians that sailed out this direction by himself and then never came back. Uh, that's that's why Caspian recognizes the bracelet at the very end of the chapter. If not, confirmed. we might be watching the Lord Octavian or whatever, like. Literally just dying the first second that we see him. Yep. If it is not him, it is the person dragon that ate him. So. And what I wonder, do you think that this is a like core component to the magic of the island and Eustace being like lured in here that like there can only be one and Eustace is the new victim that's being like brought in. And so the previous one like dies as Eustace takes his role or do you think he's just old? Uh, I think it's both. Um, I do think that there can only it's both, but functionally it's both, but in thematically and with the reality of what's happening, I do think that this is part of the magic of this Island. Uh, and I think it is, you know, the fog and everything that's leading him over here, I think recognizes that this 
even the storm, arguably, that brings them to the island. That's fair. Is, you know, I, I think there is something at play that is bringing Eustace intentionally here to watch this dragon die. And, you know, because this dragon is just going for water and then all of a sudden has a heart attack. I think it's, I think it's all, it's too, it lines up too well for it to not be intentional. Yeah, it's kind of convenient. Um, it's almost like it's a it's a device that the plot is using. I don't know what you'd call that, like a dragon ex machina. Yeah, dragon ex machina. That's that's good. That's dragon good. out of the machine. Uh, in Latin, but that'd probably be Draco ex machina. Yeah, Draco ex machina would be would be right. But I definitely heard you. You're dragging someone out of the machine. Mm-hmm. Like they got mm-hmm. caught in the machine and now they've got to be dragged out, which is what Aslan does uh, probably in the next chapter. Again, haven't read it yet. Mm. It's been a few. And I think it, Eustace will be like this for a few chapters. Uh, okay. I, I think, uh, I think they okay. let him. So I, I, gen- I genuinely, I don't know, but. But um, if I remember correctly, I think it takes, like that's one of the later parts of the book. Okay. Um, so cool Eustace is dragon Eustace. So we got to keep him around for a while. The best kind of Eustace, if he's not a non-existent Eustace, is Dragon Eustace. Yeah. But before we fun fact about Dragon Eustace is they can't talk, which is no. one of the worst things about Eustaces. That is the arguably the worst uh, is that he you know exists. But um, so before we get to Dragon Eustace, we uh, so we see this horrible death where this dragon. Uh, convulses and cries out and clangs around and blood starts pouring out of its mouth like good god man like you gave us more detailed death here than you did on the white witch come on yeah come on man like this this dragon doing some work here yeah this dragon didn't do anything he was just there he was just living his life he had no intention of it like Uh, this is rough you know Uh, but uh, we like the dragon is not playing dead. We know that it is for sure dead. Uh, and Eustace is like, oh, thank God. And he goes and gets some water from the pool. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> there is this line that says, The climate of this island was a very unpleasant one. In less than a minute, Eustace was wet to the skin and half blind. And it was such rain as one never sees in Europe. Chase, he's British. Do you know what Britain has more than anything else? Definitely not rain. It's rain, Chase. It's rain and imperialism, and that's it. <laughs> those like, are the two things. Both those of them have made it over to Narnia. Yeah, and the, and they and it shows. But it's like you're telling me that rain has never. The only thing they're missing is a British consul, like <laughs> as Jesus will tell you. But that's that's only because you know Britain hasn't found a way to colonize Narnia yet. They're uh, working on it. They've been working they, on it for a long time. Once they do, you best believe. Uh, you know. The East Indian Trading Company is coming in full fledge. Uh, no, sorry, not fledge, not him. Uh, nah, but fledge died a long time ago. That was thousands of years ago. Fledge was the first dragon. Fledge, fledge was arguably one of the first. Uh, also, interesting thought. Uh, so this dragon dies, bleeds out of his mouth into the pool. Then Eustace drinks that water. Is this a vampire situation? Um, maybe he just drank it like the part of the pool where it's like hasn't been like diluted yet, you know? I mean, maybe. I just think it's an interesting like 
that is an interesting little note just of you know he he does kind of explain how he becomes a dragon like by sleeping on the dragon's horn with dragonish thoughts in his heart but it is like the fact that he just kind of steps over this dragon's dead body and drinks its blood and then goes and takes on its treasure like it kind of there there's some light vampire vampirism even if it's not like explicit vampirism yeah that's an interesting point and i like that i think that's definitely if not like you know if not crazy foreshadow i think it's at least something it's it's showing that there is now dragon in eustace you know um whether that's physically with the blood that is being consumed which is you know take it or leave it or the actual dragon-esque thoughts that he's having. So I do like that. That's good. But uh, as we, you know, we we move forward, uh, C.S. Lewis lets us know again because Eustace knows nothing about dragons uh, because he's never read cool books, uh, only books about exports and imports and governments and drains. Lame. <laughs> uh, he doesn't know that dragons are famous for having treasure uh, because dragons hoard treasure uh, and. Eustace looks at everything and is like, wow, all of this is non-taxable. <laughs> <laughs> he manages to make treasure lame. So lame. He goes, Eustace, unlike most boys, had never thought of treasure. But as soon as he saw it, he goes, they don't have tax here. And you don't have to give treasure to the government. With some of this stuff, I could have a decent time here. Perhaps in Callerman. I didn't realize that C.S. Lewis was a libertarian. (laughs) Man, this is wild stuff here. Like, why would your first thought be, like, you're on a deserted island, and you just saw a dragon have a heart attack, and you found its treasure hoard, and you go, yep, this won't have to be taxed, like, for sure. I mean... We're we're in tax season right now. I get it. I hate taxes. I don't want to pay my taxes. I do for you know the FBI that's listening here. I pay my taxes and I hate it every single time. But when I find treasure on an abandoned deserted island, I'm just taking that home. Wow, man, just telling on yourself. To, to any IRS agents listening, if I found treasure on a desert island, I would make sure to report it. No, you know what I'm doing? I'm giving it all away. So that way it's all, uh, you know, tax or it's a, a tax exemption stuff. So suck it, FBI and IRS. Just report it all as loss. Yeah. Hey, dude. Uh, I, it's all business expenses. I needed this mansion to help me do ministry more. That's true. That's true. If you're uh, five I'm months into some dangerous uh, heretical territory here, uh, so. Uh, uh, but to to get back onto the story, like it's interesting that Eustace is like, you know, what might be a nice place to put down some roots, Callerman. Callerman, the places that you know, granted, is the most developed of the societies we've seen. Oh, sure. Like However, the cities in, in the stories so far. Most industrialized. However, also the one that, you know, has a slave trade. Uh, has slavery, might be ruled by a dictatorship. Uh, you, know, you know. But this, might, this, might this feels like a place that Eustace is like, you know where I could fit uh, with other people who have opinions on slavery. Um, yeah. 
Not, and not good one. To be fair, Eustace would do perfectly fine in Kellerman. He would uh, he would love it there. Yeah, but Other people uh, probably wouldn't like him there, but because he would not follow their like strict societal. He would, like, he, he would he'd not be a fan of the whole like being ruled by a person kind of thing. Yeah, and if we learn anything from the horse and his boy, like Kellerman has a lot of honor shame culture. That Usus would not. Usus would get executed or, pretty yeah, quick. He would die immediately. He would get executed pretty quick. But he begins to see all the treasure, and he's trying to stuff, you know, gold and coins in his pocket. And Chase, he sees a bracelet. Man. It's too big for his wrist, so he pushes it all the way up onto his arm, onto his bicep, above his elbow. Chekhov's bracelet, you know. I wonder if that's going to come into into play, like literally in the next couple chapters. Yeah, it's uh it's almost like that bracelet has some significance for the larger story that C.S. Lewis has been telling from page one. Yeah. It seems well, far from that. Let's it, just keep it right. seems too too Draco ex machina for that. Too Draco ex machina for me, Chase. Uh this isn't bracelet ex machina. This is Draco ex machina. This yeah. is where Ma- this is where Draco Malfoy comes out of a machine. But uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's good that he tested it on those birds first. It's true, because uh, God forbid he had done that to himself, and then we lost Tom Felton. It would yeah. have been a disaster. Honestly, uh, treasure. I mean, the true treasure, really. Uh, but Nashville. he goes to sleep because, you know, all that walking and, you know, being scared by a dragon and uh, discovering gold really wipes a guy out. So he falls asleep, and while he's asleep, everyone is trying to look for him and, you know, rinse who's just, I guess, what his, is rinse the, the first hand? Uh, rinse is what you do when you're washing your hands. Oh, he's, rinse is what you do at the poop. Yes. After gotcha. That. gotcha. Yeah. So Master Rinse, I believe, is the first mate. And right. he, he says what everyone else is thinking because everyone, like, everyone's like, where is he? I wonder if he, like, got lost or fall or got, like, killed. And <laughs> Rinse goes, and good riddance if he says, if he has, I say. And wouldn't, Chase, here's this is why Reaper Chief is the best character in the book. Hands down, he's the real hero, other than Aslan. He goes, Master Rince, you never spoke a word that became you less. The creature is no friend of mine, but he is of the Queen's blood, and while he is one of our fellowship, it concerns our honor to find him and to avenge him if he is dead. He has had more problems with Reaper Chief than any other character in this book. And who is defending him? Reaper Chief. Reaper Chief 2024. I mean, Reepicheep would probably charge straight into some... Uh, into some World War Three. Yeah, which, I uh, mean, is... Honestly, it's happening right now anyway, so... By the time this podcast releases, we don't know what's going to happen, but... Yeah, uh, honestly, like, prayers for Ukraine, but... Really, yeah, truly. No jokes aside. Like, like jokes aside there, prayers for Ukraine. Yeah. Like, but... Two Back to the story. Now, when this releases, who knows where, where it'll be. Right. But we see Reepicheep speaking honorably, being like, no, we must find him. Uh, and, you know, everyone is still upset because Eustace sucks. And they're like, of course, like we have to go and like send a search party out for him now. Uh, and because of his own selfishness. And, and we cut back to Eustace, who wakes up with a really sharp pain in his arm, Chase. Uh, it's, Maybe he's it's having a heart attack, too. Maybe it's on his left arm. So that is tough. Uh, 
but he he realizes, oh man, that bracelet must, must have gotten really tight on my bicep because I'm so yoked. Uh, all those those weights I've been lifting really paying off. But uh, I he do doesn't like look that. C.S. Lewis says over and over again, just to make sure we know, it was his left arm. Yes, it's his left arm. And he moves his right arm to feel his left arm and goes, ha, a dragon claw. And he realizes he's been sleeping next to a dragon the whole time. But that dragon claw's hand moves the exact same way that his does. Weird. Probably a coincidence. But then Chase. He just didn't realize that the dragon had a friend or a mate. But uh, then he sees something terrible happen. Chase, two wisps of smoke come out from under him, from you know roughly where his nose is. Crazy. He must have fallen asleep on top of a dragon, Cal. And so he holds his breath, and wouldn't you believe it? The wisps of smoke stop, and then he goes, and he coughs out, and then all the, the smoke comes out again. He must have swallowed all of the dragon's breath. <laughs> this is such an absurd thing. Like, like it's... It is fun that the way that C.S. Lewis writes this is so that the reader knows exactly what's happening, but Eustace is still figuring it out. Like, yeah. it is kind of fun, especially for a children's story, for the reader to be like, oh, he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know. Like, so if he doesn't know, then he continues. And he says, Eustace gets really upset. No one would blame him for crying, which he did. But when he's crying, he sees the tears. And they're huge. But he doesn't see his snout? No. Do you see your nose right now, Kel? Yes. Maybe that's just me. But I mean, I see I, my nose if I'm looking from my nose. But you, you forget your, that your nose is there a lot of the time. Sure. But if you could see your... Like, we're also not dealing with dragon snouts that come out so far. Like, if you're seeing... like. Yeah, this would be noticeable. I both have our hands out, roughly the where you know a snout would be. You know what I can see all the time now? My snout. <laughs> He's not a duck. <laughs> but this is uh these are good bits for podcasting. Visual visual gags on an audio uh, medium, so it's great. Uh, but he can see the giant tears, and he's like, "Oh, those are some big tears." Oh well. Uh, and he gets Weird. concerned, and, and then he's, yeah. And then he, you know, uh, he's like, "All right, I've got to move." And he sees not not just a dragon on his right side, Chase, but there's a when he moves his left arm, there's a dragon on his left. Good, good God! There's a dragon under him. There's a dragon on the sides of him. Where are all these dragons, Chase? Surrounded by dragons. He's surrounded, and he's everyone surrounded. knows that dragons travel in packs. <laughs> How they work. I mean, you could argue that he is surrounded by a dragon. And so he, he's like, I've just got to make a run for it. And he dashes towards the pool uh, and he notices two things. One, why was he running on all fours? That's weird. He's never done that before. And then as he's about to jump in the water, which like, what's the water going to do? Chase, like. Protection from fire, Cal. Yeah. Everyone knows fire and water are opposites. Long necks and teeth. Like, I mean, look, dragons are like alligators in the sense that they never go in or near water. Chase, I don't know if you know about alligators. Um, I've never been to Florida. Tell me. Alligators spend 
like a lot of time in the water and they're actually like way faster in the water than they are in, in on land. This might be a problem, Cal. This could be an issue, but as he's, you know, thank God for him. He's not surrounded by dragons. Oh, thank God. He just is one. Oh, well, that's no, wait, no. hold on. So he sees his reflection uh, and uh, it does not show uh, Mufasa in the water uh, as he swishes around. Nope. Just shows his own reflection, which is a dragon face. He's a dragon. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's a Mulan song about that, but who is that dragon? I see staring straight back at me. You want me to continue? Because I will. Uh, I, I think that's good. But I do very much appreciate it. <laughs> Our listeners just decreased by half. So the one of you that's listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, I apologize. Did, did uh, I unsubscribe? <laughs> maybe I did, but <laughs> uh, so it's tough. But uh, he realizes that he himself is a dragon. We get this great line uh, where it says he had turned into a dragon while he was asleep, sleeping on a dragon's horde with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself, which is a lot of dragon verbiage in a row. And usually you'd yeah. be like, that's kind of like kitschy and, but it works really well here. Cause you're like, yeah, yes, um, that's what exactly happened. And so it's like, I love that little line and, and that little phrase. It's great. Um, and the, this might it. be a good time to point out uh, a biblical analogy here of uh, yeah. King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh yeah. Love it. So oh, if if Chad, you're not, you know. did you say golden Chad? No, well, I could say I just said Chad as he's known, which is the middle four letters. I've not I've not picked apart the name too too deeply, but uh Good if out. you're not familiar, listener, with uh one of the many stories uh from the book of Daniel, um so King Nebuchadnezzar basically thinks that he's super great and has this kingdom and it's all out of his own hard work and pulling himself up by his bootstraps and his own greatness. Uh, so God decides to uh, humble him by essentially turning him into a beast where he goes and lives in the wilderness and grows long hair. And until he is able to humble himself before God and recognize that all power and, and things come from God and for God, uh, at which point he turns back into a man and returns to his kingdom. And it's this weird little like parable prophetic, like story in the middle of Daniel that is really interesting but kind of fits here with with Eustace's pride and the way that he gets turned into a beast and until he is humbled before Aslan does not get turned back into a, a human um just a weird like parallel that I was thinking about as I was reading. I like it I think that's a am this morning <laughs> I think that's a great word you know you have this this really really yeah, I mean, I think that's just a great story. I think you hit it on the head there. Um, and I think it's a great parallel. Whether it was intentional or not, I think it works really well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like the vampire thing. Like, I don't know if C.S. Lewis was thinking about that, but it's something that, like, just the little glimpse of it, it seemed like, okay, I, I can see why these themes translate through all these different stories. 
we'll give him credit for it regardless of whether he intended it or not, because we, we dunk on him a lot anyway. So, sure. And to be fair, this is one of my favorite written chapters that we've had overall. Like as Absolutely. far as the storytelling goes, this is a very good chapter. It's a really good one. Uh, it's got good pacing in it for the most part. Like it's got, a, you know, when the big things happen, he doesn't skate by it. He gives it time to breathe. And like you sit with it a lot, you know, how are the characters reacting and responding? Uh, there are certain things he skates by, like this very next scene, uh, where as he's testing out, you know, his his dragonness, uh, you know, he he's like, um, well, I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So he's testing out, like uh, he's looking at what's what's going on. He realizes that you know the the bracelet is super tight on his forearm and it really hurts, and it's you know he tries to rip it off with his teeth, but he can't, um, and you know, he's relieved that, you know, he's not being attacked by dragons uh, because there's nothing to be afraid of other than himself. Uh, but he does come to realize, and it, it kind of is one of those things where he immediately is like, oh, I was the bad guy all along. And like, because he realizes the implications of being a dragon and not being accepted in humanist society again, he realizes that all these people that he thought were being mean to him were actually his friends the whole time. Yeah. Terrible time to realize this, but yes, uh, he. It's funny that like the progression that he has these thoughts in of like, man, no one could really hurt me anymore except like a knight. And where is one of those going to come from? Also, now I could get back at Edmund and Caspian, those those fiends, those terrible people who I hate. Oh wait, I don't actually want to hurt them. I want them to be my friends. And then like. I'm going to do better from now on. It's, it's like this full, like we just see each stage of him coming around and it's kind of like, it, it is childish thinking in a certain sense, but it's also like superhuman and yeah. like, not like superhuman, superhuman, super, <laughs> superman, like superhuman, like very human. Uh, so I have this like turn from like, yeah, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Be like, oh man, I might be wrong. Yeah. Who would have known that the most human emotions that Eustace has shown the whole book would come when he's a dragon? It's uh, it's almost as if Aslan needed him to become a dragon to really reach him as a human. Mm. This is his come to Aslan moment, or at least the beginning of it, because his come to Aslan moment is a lot more brutal. Really yeah, cool. His come to Aslan moment is is gonna hurt a little bit it uh, uh, turns out when you have scales it hurts to get them off yeah because we'll it's really brutal but really cool imagery yeah really, really cool stuff but he uh you know starts crying uh and you know weeping it says a powerful dragon crying its eyes out under the moon is a desert in a desert valley is sight and sound hardly to be imagined so that's cool you know great great imagery there yeah, uh he kind but, of zooms out for a second and he's like you know, he's got to find his way back. He's determined that he's going to go and find everyone. He realizes that, you know, Caspian never would have sailed away because he's actually a good guy. But then Chase. We come to this scene where it's like, before he leaves, he took a long drink. And then I know this sounds shocking, but it isn't if you think it over. He ate nearly all the dead dragon. Just sit with that for a second. What, what do you mean, Cal? Why would that be a problem in any way, shape? <laughs> so here's the thing. Now, cannibalism is not a good thing. We don't recommend it. Not generally, you know, 
so sometimes specifically i mean i'm not going to give you the times when it's okay because it's not okay but like i mean wink wink you know just kidding please don't understand <laughs> that <laughs> and you're and, ever yeah. trapped on a desert island with one other person who's already died you know what? what we're not going to do it god can redeem the body just kidding <laughs> but uh do not eat another human uh please don't that's a bummer uh but the problems with this chase are a few fold. So one, he's a dragon eating another dragon. Yeah. That's, cannibalism. So that's dragon cannibalism. That's dragon cannibalism. Two, as we can infer now, regardless of who this was, we, you know, we can imply that this was the, the Lord that was sent out from Telmar. He's yeah. eating a human. He's just eating a dude. This is a dude eating another dude another dude who just peeled over like five minutes he didn't even let the body get cold Cal. no I did think. you even did you blood let him did you drain him like no i mean a little bit of blood came out of his mouth into the water that's the vampire thing but uh yeah he's just he's just going for it he's just he's just there he's just living his his best life, I guess. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. CSS says this is just what dragons do. Dragons eat other dragons, and he's a dragon, and he has dragon thoughts and feelings now. So he's gonna eat dragons when he feels like it. And that's why he doesn't you so feel like it's now dragons. Kill <laughs> is this CS Lewis processing some things he did in the war? Like what's happening? Did he eat his fellow soldiers in the middle of the trench? I mean, it's hard to say. I haven't read. I mean, it was a bad time. Like bad time. But but. but he says this is why you so seldom find dragons in in the like more than one in the same country. Chase, I've read a lot of fantasy dragons. I've read a lot of fantasy, and I've never heard this trope before that dragons. I've read a whole book series that's literally about dragons. Like the inheritance cycle. I've read that. I've read Tolkien. There are multiple dragons that are mentioned throughout the Silmarillion and the Hobbit. I've read, you know, uh, Beowulf, uh, the dragon. Avatar there. The La- in Avatar the Last Airbender, Avatar. the dragons dance with each other. The, they're di- Where does this trope come from? Why is he just making, like, you don't have to do this. Just say that, like, he was, he just go away starving. And then he goes hunting or something like that. Like so, if there is a trope of dragons being by themselves, it's because dragons are greedy, not because uh, they eat each other. But I guess uh, dragon meat is delicious, according to C.S. Lewis. Noted source. I would eat. I, as a human, would eat a dragon. Dragon, if it came to it, a dragon steak sounds incredible. It sounds filling. It sounds like I'm going to have too much food. It sounds like you're going to eat it and like have some kind of heightened awareness or superpower afterward. I, I can see that. Like there's some sort of like magical like nature in the meat. I mean, uh, isn't that what Hagrid used to heal his black eye? And then uh, he gave a dragon snake? It, uh, it might be. Uh, sure. It could. Mm. Or, would, he, kill, would he kill a dragon though? I don't know. I mean, he probably just bought it on the black market we haggard was into some sketchy stuff if you actually pay attention haggard does a lot of stuff where you're like man dumbledore must really like this guy because he gets away with a lot 
But it's almost like he was keeping him as a source just in case that something came up later where he needed information on Baltimore. But yeah, if he needed to go and recruit the Dragons or the <laughs> oh well, the Giants. Uh, but we get back to our story, and so he eats and consumes this whole dragon, and we're just gonna leave that there because C.S. Lewis spends two sentences on this. Yeah, he says, "Don't worry about it," and moves on. Man, and just goes for it. But then he begins the climb, and then he just learns to fly. You know, yeah. it's 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 not like you know. There's a whole uh, you know physiological response in birds and other flying creatures that they have to learn to fly, uh, and it's a really tough thing to do. Uh, but whatever. Um, all of a sudden, he can just fly, and it's the first pleasant surprise he had had in a long time. And then we cut back to the Dawn Treader and the crew, uh, and they realize that. Uh, they, you know, they don't have to worry because there was a dead dragon found in a valley uh, and like rinse again, saying what everyone else is feeling. He goes like the, the dragon, you know, died uh, and wouldn't he would he would hardly have been killing people a very few hours before because it was pretty fresh. He goes, unless it ate the little brat and died of him, he'd poison anything. Fair enough. Fair enough, Rince. Uh, but he said it under his breath so no one could hear it, including Reepicheep. Because Reepicheep probably would, he'd, he'd duel him for that now. He'd, he'd agree, but still duel him. You go, listen, I gave you fair warning. Now I have to stab you, which is Reepicheep's way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, literally the next paragraph where they're like, we don't have to worry about anything because dragons never travel more than one. Uh, they're like, JK, we actually just saw another dragon and it flew over the treetops and landed on the beach. So now we need to prepare ourselves. And Reba Chief is like, listen. And Caspian's like, no, you will not be, you will not be dueling this dragon one-on-one. Reba Chief slides his sword back in. He's like, Come on, man. Yeah, it's essentially a video game level where like, oh no, a dragon has landed on the beach. It's between us and the ship. We have to get past it to get back to the is ship. This, uh, is this Skyrim? I mean, you literally don't have a path unless you face the dragon. Luckily, the dragon is Eustace. It is not a threat. But uh, <laughs> even as a dragon, Eustace still is pretty useless. Honestly, if Reepicheep had been allowed to go in, Eustace might have died. <laughs> <laughs> might have actually won, which is tough because he has dragon scales. But Reepicheep somehow finds a way. Man. Reaper Sheep would be so proud if he slayed that dragon. Imagine if he killed Eustace. <laughs> and that was just how it ended. And no one knew what happened to Eustace. C.S. Lewis released the Reaper Sheep cut. <laughs> oh, man. Now I wish that that had happened. Not, uh, you know, it would have been a, a fun turn to the story. That's the, that's the Deadpool version of, of yeah. this <laughs> it's it's a darker story. It's not a children's book anymore. But no, it would have no. yeah, it's rough. But then, so they're like, yeah, we're just gonna wait until you know, you know, light starts coming up, uh, so that we can see the dragon. And Lucy's like, perhaps it's just gonna go away. And Edmund's like, no, that's worse because I want to know where the dragon is if there is one. Uh, okay. You know, which is fair. He goes, uh, and so they they wait, and you know, once it's light, they bum rush it and as they start rushing the dragon starts retreating and they're like that's <laughs> just waddles away and he waddles Dragging away it's heading crying got any british consul nope <laughs> so he waddles away he's, he's waddling away just yelling he wants to talk to uh 
to their supervisor. <laughs> this is a dragon Karen. Uh, Eustace but, is dragon Karen. Like that is yeah. that is his character. And so uh, they they get really confused by him retreating, and then they're like, "Why is he wagging its head?" And now it's nodding his head, and they're like, "Oh, man. like they're like, something's coming from his eyes." And they're like, is he crying? Is this, is this dragon, a little baby. Uh, and, and they're like it's crocodile tears. And yeah, Brennan's like sometimes crocodiles do that, which like that's the only legitimate like use of the term crocodile tears that I've ever actually seen. It. Yeah, and so then the dragon shakes its head no, and they're like, did it just shake his head no? Does he understand what you're saying? And the dragon shakes his head yes, and they're like, dragon, do you understand us? Do you can you understand speech? And the dragon nods his head yes, and then they're like, can you speak? And he shakes his head no. Uh, and then Rio Chief goes, it is idle to ask you your business, but if you will swear friendship with us, raise your left foreleg above your head. <laughs> is is Rio Chief commanding fealty to of this dragon? Like, is he... I just like that it's conveniently the arm that he needs to raise to see that he, he's hurt. He raises his, his gimpy, swollen arm, uh, and he, he does it, and Lucy's like, oh, the poor thing. Uh, and she grabs his vial uh, and, and tries to, to cure it. And, and you know, their Eustace is, is super excited. And, like, all the other people are like, oh, baby, don't do that. And she's like, I'm going anyway. Uh, and Eustace is real excited. She's like, oh, great. I've seen this work before. Maybe it'll cure me slash heal me of being a dragon. Um, but all it did was, like, it relieved the pain and swelling but it didn't dissolve the gold and it for sure didn't turn him away from being a dragon. And Chase, we come to the climactic point of the chapter. Caspian gasps, looks at the bracelet and says, look. What? He's staring at the bracelet, but I wonder what it's for. Chase, that's, that's all. That's, that, that is the cliffhanger the chapter ends on. That's, that's how it goes. Uh, but Chase, uh, would you uh, like to dive further up and further in for us? I would love to. Uh, for for my further up and further in, uh, I just want to uh, talk about this idea or this realization of uh, am I the am I the jerk? Uh, the the realization you might be wrong. The realization you might be in the wrong. Uh, so this was a beautifully written chapter exploring the transformation, uh, the, the recognition that your own ways might be wrong and the need for help and change. And so the practice of confession and repentance are super central to the Christian faith. And the idea that turning to the good path means first recognizing that you're on the bad path and turning to no longer follow it anymore is uh, is really central. And, and that's essentially the beginnings of what's happening in this chapter. In this chapter, Eustace's worst qualities manifest themselves physically in his life. His greed, his self-centeredness, the, the walls he puts up against relationships become the hoarding and thick, scaly skin of a dragon. Uh, but as he becomes fully himself in a way, he comes to the realization that that's not actually who he wants to be. Uh, the things he's been chasing since coming into Narnia, the ways he's been isolating himself, uh, trying to insist that his way is the only way, that's not what he truly wants. Uh, he wants friendship and connection, uh, but it's only by seeing himself as he truly is in dragon form that he's actually motivated to see that change. 
And so in the Christian tradition that C.S. Lewis is writing from, the realization of truth is central to the receiving of mercy and grace. And so for Eustace's journey, which isn't over yet, this realization that he might be the bad guy, uh, that his way isn't the right way, that's his his first step towards redemption. Um, so yeah, am, am I the jerk? Am I the poop deck? Yes. Uh so my further up and further in uh, is dealing with the idea of dragons in fantasy, right? Uh, and, and how they're used. If you are a fantasy story uh, worth any snuff, what you're going to do is you're going to use dragons. Everyone loves dragons. Dragons exist around the globe uh, in total, like wildly different stories uh, and in different shapes and forms. And they all look amazing and, and they're, they're all used for different purposes. Um, and, and it's really interesting to see how and why dragons are employed because they're this, this creature of mythical proportions and size and strength and power and magic. There's so much you can do and convey with the idea of a dragon. Uh, if you are, you know, Tolkien, dragons represent greed. Dragons represent, uh, you know, what happens when you uh, you dive into your, you know, your selfish desires so much. Uh, if you're Beowulf, uh, it, you know, the dragon represents, you know, you have to like it is the consequences of your own uh, mistakes and your own sin, which is similar to this story, which we'll get to in a second. And you have to kill your mistakes. You have to own your consequences. Uh, if you're referring to the wheel of time, the dragon is not a literal dragon, but a metaphorical one. It is a title given based on something that exists and that people will be aware of that represents power. Uh, if you're in the inheritance cycle, dragons are these creatures of wisdom and magic and majesty that are uh, wildly different than humans, that they are a different species. They're not just seen as creatures most of the time. They're seen as, you know, other uh, races of intelligent species that, you know, they they are these incredible, you know, beings. Uh, if you uh, are, you know, in the, the Cosmere with Brandon Sanderson's, you know, Dragons are part of this creation and this majesty and this mysterious uh, world that is yet to be determined. Uh, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, there's this balance that comes from dragons, this not only power, but also gentleness and, and how to use this well, uh, how to, you know, the, the beautiful, you know, one of the most cool episodes in that series is the dance of the dragon. Like it's, it's not just a sins of power it's how to use that in balance and how to use that with grace and fluidity it's uh, dragons can convey so many different things and in this story dragons like in, in the one dragon we see uh, in eustace uh, represents the sin of eustace that he is going to have to overcome that represents his uh, his beastly side right to to coin a phrase uh, to it represents the his his self his you know sinful self that will have to be shed and removed uh, and and for him to be able to live as a new creation a new uses so dragons throughout fantasy and fiction and literature and, and mythology of the world as a whole always represent something powerful because dragons are different they are unique they are uh, a recognizable creature that's different than any other mythological creature that you just say hey that's a centaur hey that's a unicorn hey that's a mermaid whatever it might be 
He's saying, no, a dragon. There's power and command and majesty and magic and, you know, evil or, or wisdom or whatever it might be. That's all wrapped up in the idea of a dragon. But Chase, I don't want to alarm you, but as I was speaking, I saw some wisps of smoke coming from under your nose. And I think you may have fell asleep on a dragon. That explains a lot. Uh, but could you tell me why, uh, man, I, I put on this podcast and and now it's just kind of tight and stuck and I can't get it off? Um, yeah. So the, what you can do with that, right? So first, you got to run out of the cave on all fours. Uh, and once you're out of the cave, uh, I need you to uh, go to the pool. And this pool is anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever that might be. And I need you to bring your friends to that pool. Share that pool with everyone you know, because that way they can drink the, the water with all the dragon blood in it. And then they can see their own reflection in this podcast. And they realize that they were the dragon the whole time. Uh, and then once they realize that, the dragon community of this podcast can go to at the Chronicles of Podcast on Instagram uh, you know, start following us on there. Let some let us know in the comments how you like our podcast. Let it you know leave a five star rating and uh, give us some reviews wherever you you can, uh, and and allow us to know that we're not the only dragons here, so that we don't have to wail deeply into the night. And did we just start a dragon cult? It wouldn't be opposed. Maybe I'm on the poop deck. Am I the poop deck? <laughs> I've been the poop deck the whole time. Oh, no. Man, one twist. You never see yourself being the poop deck. Uh, you really don't. Till you hear that horn. That trumpet, bro. Uh, man, you're about to have to be dealing with a lot of, of trumpeting poop decks. Man, I didn't expect this at the beginning of this uh, of this book, but it's a pleasant surprise. It's, I mean, it's a one, well-timed, of, one of a the well-timed better books. Trumpet, a well-timed trumpet on a poop deck, man. It's man. always funny. It, it really is. It's it's some of the basest form of comedy. 